So uh, Pastor Chris is sick. He sent the message out to us yesterday. Uh, so you can pray for him. Uh, we, no one knows which of the four major plagues currently afflicting Clatsop County. Uh, you've probably had some of them yourselves. And if not, maybe that's going to come. But anyway, Chris is sick. So if you want to pray for him and his family, for those of you that have families, you know it starts with one person. And then the bigger your family, the longer that period of time is as it works through each person in your house. And they have six. Actually, more than that with their um, parents and stuff. So anyway, pray for the Suits family. Um, and you can turn in your Bible to Luke chapter 4. We'll be... Looking at Luke chapter 4, we've been in a series, um, an Advent series, but kind of different that we're doing Luke chapter 4. This is sort of Jesus' mission statement um, for why he came and what he came to do. It's his, his first recorded sermon, and uh, we'll take a look at it. If you, if you need a Bible, you can raise your hand. Someone will give you one. I'm reading from the New Living Translation, so it may sound a little bit different from what you've got. And I'm going to try so hard to be brief because we have a great uh, testimony today that I'm, I'm personally really looking forward to. So here we go. Can a pastor be brief? Luke chapter 4, verse 18. Jesus is handed the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. He's in his synagogue and they hand him this scroll. A visiting rabbi would do that. He'd stand up and, and read. And here's what he reads it's from Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2. That's the section Jesus is quoting. And he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me for he's anointed me to bring Or preach, you may have preach in your Bible. Good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim captives to be released, to proclaim liberty to the captives, for the blind to see, and that the oppressed would be set free, or the liberty to them that are oppressed. That the year, excuse me, that the time of the Lord's favor has come, or your Bible might say the year of the Lord's favor. And when he stops reading right there, he's actually stopping in the middle of a verse. In Psalm, excuse me, in Isaiah 61, verse 2, it continues on. It says that year of the Lord's favor, comma, and the day of vengeance of our God. And Jesus stops right there. And he stops reading. And then he says this. He rolls up the scroll, hands it back to the attendant, and drops the mic. And says, he sat down, and all eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently. And he began to speak to them. And he said, the scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. That's the mic drop. This is a clear claim by Jesus to say that messianic prophecy that you all have read from the time you were little in synagogue. Guess what? It's me. That's that's the meaning of this story. Of course, they reject him. Uh, He's familiar. Like, we know this guy. He can't be the Messiah. And they try to kill him. But that's not our sermon today. So Jesus has been working. We've been working through these sections of these things that Jesus came to proclaim. I want to just make one more point before I jump back into that. Why does Jesus stop on that comma in Isaiah 61? Is he one of those guys that takes verses out of context? Is Jesus a bad Bible teacher? No way, of course not. No, why does he stop right there? Well, he stops there because the mission of his first coming is, ends right there. It's this, the time period you and I are living in is the time of God's favor towards man. We are essentially living on a comma, life on a comma. That's where we're at. And I'll just make one more side comment. And those of you that disagree with me, and, and you might be right, can fight me later. But this is one of those, to me, evidentiary points that in prophecy, there's sometimes these near fulfillments and far fulfillments with a period of time in between. If you read Isaiah 61, 1 and 2, you'd say, oh, when the Messiah comes, it'll be the time of God's favor and the time of God's vengeance right there. Boom. And we're done. And that's not how Jesus treats that prophecy. He treats them as two separate events, the time of God's favor the period that Jesus was introducing there and a future day in which he would come and we'll see that day of vengeance. So there can be that, in, in my opinion, uh, that way of reading scripture that says prophecy sometimes has a break in it 
And I think this is a great example of that, for what it's worth. But I'll come back to that. That actually has a point for this sermon. Okay, so the, we've looked at these different phrases so far, um, that he is a God that's come to preach good news. Now, some people, have you heard recently, I think it's gaining more and more um, popularity, this idea that Christianity is a hateful religion. Has anybody heard that phrase? Yeah, I hear it. I hear it too. Christianity is a hateful religion. Different reasons have, people have different reasons for saying that. And it could be that some people, maybe some of you, have experienced someone who did, in the name of Christ, act in a hateful way. That certainly has been the case. There were people who tried to justify slavery using the Bible, right? There are also many Christians, Wilberforce among them, who fought against that. But um, there are people, of course, who've acted in the name of Christ in a hateful way. But Christianity is not a hateful religion. It's quite the opposite. It's a God seeking out his enemies at the cost of his own life to rescue them. It's not a hateful, that's not a hateful message. And that is why it's good news. That's the good news. If you're not familiar with this idea of the gospel, it just means good news. And the good news is this, that though the world is broken because of sin and sin lives in you and me, so we're the problem. We've broken that relationship with God and the wages of sin is death. That's the outcome that we deserve And if you look at the world, like with a little bit of objectivity, you're like, yeah, someone should probably blow this place up. It's, it's got problems. What we don't want to do is connect that dot to ourselves and go, and that problem is in me. But God looking at that says, man, it's true, but I don't want to lose them. I will act to save them at the cost of myself. And so he sent his son, Jesus, who lived a perfect life, a life you and I could never live. Kind, standing up for those who needed an advocate, healing, Um, and then died the death that you and I deserve to die for our sin, that the world deserves to die, so that anyone who would trust him and say, you know what, I can't save myself, I am the guilty one, could receive his life instead, that life that Jesus lived, a righteous life, be made right with the Father and have a whole new way of living here and a life to come that is fantastic, to put it mildly. That's the good news. So if anyone's telling you it's a hateful religion, they may have they may have experienced a version of it that's hateful, but it's difficult in my mind to hear that message to say that a God who's perfect and has been injured would lay his life down for his enemies and say that's hateful. Anyways, that's my quick deal there. But that's the good news. So if you haven't trusted Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords, give him your life today, man. He loves you. He died so that you could be restored to the Father. So then he goes on to list a few other things. He's here to preach good news to the poor, proclaim uh, the captives be released, the blind see, and Chris has talked about both of those. And the phrase we'll focus on briefly today is the uh, oppressed will go free or liberty to them that are oppressed. Or if you have a King James, I think it says liberty to those that are bruised. Is that, does anyone have a King James with them? What does it say? Does that sound right? Liberty to them that are bruised. That's a good translation in, for this reason. The two words I want to look at real quick are liberty and oppressed. And the Greek word for used for oppressed here, it's only used here in the New Testament. And it's a word that means to be broken, essentially. So bruised is probably a good translation. It's the idea of power that's being inflicted in some way that, that is breaking the, the victim or the one who's being oppressed. Does that make sense? And if you think about, what are some examples of oppression that you could think of? You can answer out loud. I mean, look around the world, I just think, can you think of any examples of oppression? Maybe somewhere. What's an example? Out loud. Ukraine. Okay, war. War is a great example of oppression, right? Someone using power to inflict their will on, hopefully, in their view, someone weaker. Sex trafficking, absolutely. Human trafficking of all kinds, yeah, where others are using power to victimize other people, to oppress them, to get something. What else? Social media, probably true. 
Um, yeah, that's probably true. What, someone said something else. Would you say greed? Greed with a G? Okay, yeah, greed, absolutely. People wanting to acquire money oftentimes because first you get the money, then you get the power. Is that how that goes in the Godfather? Nobody watches. You guys are all good Christians. My bad. I didn't know. I didn't know you were all so holy. My fault. Any other examples of oppression you can think of? Tyranny, yeah. I mean, tyranny, we can go from like an evil monarch. You can think of some dictatorships that have existed where people are just doing terrible things. King Kim Jong-un has reportedly executed people by tying their bodies to the front of anti-aircraft guns and blowing them up. I mean, what is that? That's tyranny. And then, of course, that can you know, go down to a smaller scale. Some of you experience tyranny at your job. You know, you may have a job who's like, cool, this is my little kingdom and that's how I, that's how I roll. So oppression is something that's, that's easy to see, especially in the external, I think, right? It's easy to look at examples externally that are that way. And I think some of us have probably experienced that even in close relationships. You can have that in, um, in families sometimes or in marriages or with friendships, all those kinds of things. There can be those examples of, of these power things that are designed to break and damage someone else. And many of us have experienced that. I think one of the other ones that's probably even more prevalent but harder to see sometimes, at least initially, are the internal kinds of oppression that we've experienced where power has broken us. And sometimes those are linked. You know, you can have external oppression that then affects you internally. So if you think back to family dynamics, right, if you had a, a parent who was a tyrant, for, an exa- for example, and used power in that way, that can leave you with some pretty significant internal wounds in the way that you view relationships and the way that you feel in general, it can be pretty damaging. Those are pretty substantial. And both of those are included in this idea of what Jesus is talking about, that he came to set at liberty those that are oppressed. I want to talk about how that is and what that looks like, because I think we need to calibrate that term. And I think a key thing for us in understanding that will come in uh, the first thing that he says, what does it say Jesus wants to do for the oppressed? What's the word? Yeah, set free or set at liberty. The interesting thing, the root word here, the re, uh, root Greek word here is a word that's usually translated forgiveness. It's the idea of release or pardon or setting, setting someone free, right? But, it's, but forgiveness is this root idea. In other words, there's a wrong and a debt and someone is being released from that wrong or debt. Does that make sense? So I think this is important to put together how, and when, if we're going to understand what Jesus means by uh, liberty from oppression we need to understand how he's doing that and he's doing it it appears through forgiveness does that make sense i'm going to follow me just keep those ideas in your head that oppression he's talking about this idea of power inflicted by someone that wants to injure and break people which most of us have experienced and all of us have seen and that's connected somehow this liberty through forgiveness the reason I think we need to calibrate this is if we say that Jesus came to set at liberty them that are oppressed, are Jesus' followers currently free from oppression? Okay, yes and no. What do you mean? Somebody, go ahead, Mr. Haney. Yeah, for those of you who are listening online or can't hear, Mr. I make sure I say this right. He's saying that the twofold, you may have freedom in the sense that we're free from sin because of Christ's work on the cross. Is that a fair summation of what you said? Yeah. But we're also not, we're clearly experiencing oppression circumstantially or relationally, etc. right? How many people have experienced something like what I've just described 
yeah, okay, and some of you are liars, so I'm kidding, no. Yeah, I think this is the common experience of humanity. In fact, if you go through and you read the things that Jesus says, he's clearly not saying, he's not promising you a circumstantially free life. All who want to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. If you want to be my follower, you must take up your cross, deny yourself, I missed up the order there, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Now, that, what is the cross? It's an instrument of torture. I mean, you must die to yourself. That's, that's pretty tough, right? He says that all men will hate you for my name. That means there's going to be some oppression, right? And if you look at the history of Christianity, it's clearly filled with Christian suffering. We might look at some examples if I hurry up here. So we can't, if you read that and we go, man, Jesus was the, is the God who will give me that, that life that's free from problems. That is not what Jesus is saying. We have to read the total of what he said. So what does he mean? He means something different. A kind of freedom, a liberty that flows from forgiveness. And Marcus brought this up. This forgiveness is something that Jesus accomplishes, right? You know, it's interesting when people talk about um, forgiving, I wonder if, I sometimes wonder, can people really forgive if you're not a Christian? Can you really forgive? And that makes me sound kind of elitist, but here's what I mean is if forgiveness involves a debt and a, a debt that's owed, right? Justice demands payment of that debt. That's got to be fair. Then God's forgiveness doesn't undo, isn't unjust. Does that make sense? His nature is to be just. So forgiveness still demands a payment for that debt. So you can have somebody who says, um, I'm not going to charge you for, let's say, I don't, I don't know what I do. I stole a chair from Stephen's house, let's just say. And Stephen says, I'm not going to charge you for the chair you stole from me. And he would call that forgiveness. And in a sense, that's true. But in the biblical sense of forgiveness, I think, as I understand it, that debt is still owed. Marcus has chosen not to charge me, excuse me, Stephen, I'm stealing from all the guys today. <laughs> Stephen has chosen not to charge me, but that debt is still owed. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? If it doesn't, say, I don't think it's true. You may be right. That's how I see it in the Bible. And the reason I see that is because what God does when he forgives us is not sweep our sins under the rug and say, oh, you've been a good little boy enough to make up for that, and I just don't really want to deal. Um, he says, no, your sins, the wages of your sins are death. You deserve separation from me in hell. That's the, the outcome. But instead of you paying that debt, what I'll do is I won't make you pay it. I'll forgive that, but I am going to pay it myself. Jesus is going to step in and die that death for you. Does that make sense? So that when a Christian forgives, it's true. We don't exact that debt from someone who owes it to us, but we reckon it paid by Jesus. Does that make sense? So the, the, that the, the debt has been paid. It just wasn't paid by the person who should have paid it. And that's our story, right? Because I can't pay my debt. I cannot make up to God the things that I've done. And so Jesus is pretty clear that like, if, I, if I'm not willing to forgive others, it's a reflection of my relationship with him that I may have a problem of forgiveness with him. So I wonder sometimes if the world really has a way, and there's no way to make up those debts. But we have a way to make that right, and it's Jesus. Does that make sense? Okay, at least in theory, <laughs> hard to do. Hard to do. Um, there's more we could say about that, but the day, that's not the point today. I just want to calibrate those terms. So we have this source of, of liberty comes from what Jesus has done, the forgiveness that he bought for us at the cross, and that that allows us to have a kind of liberty from or freedom from oppression. What does that look like? Well, um, let me see if I can jump back here to my notes. If Jesus doesn't give us 
circumstantial deliverance from oppression now, then what does he give us? Well, I think it's this. It's not a freedom from facing oppression. That's clear. We're going to experience suffering and those sorts of things in this life. But it is, this is important, freedom to face oppression differently. So we're in the same boat as everybody going through the world. Cancer, people get sick, you have terrible bosses, family people hurt you. All that stuff goes down. But your experience going through is different. Why? Because you're just faking it till you make it and you're kind of gritting your way through it? No, because you have a source of life that's coming from Jesus that allows you to react differently to those same things that are happening to that same stuff so that you can have uh, stories like this. Uh, you can have the story of Jesus before Pilate. Pilate says, hey, don't you, why don't you answer me? Don't you know that I have the power, that's that idea of oppression, right, to release you or not? And Jesus says, you wouldn't have any power over me except it was granted you from above. I don't have to do anything. I'm not subject to you. I'm subject to my father. His experience of that oppression was totally different because he was experiencing life from his father. He knew who the king of kings was. Jesus is the one who lived the life we should have lived, died the death we should have died, and is now exalted as the king of kings. And so when we face power that's making a claim, we don't have to fear it. We may suffer, but we don't fear it because we're submitted to the king of kings. We recognize the people who claim power over us don't have any unless Jesus lets him. And I trust Jesus. So you know what? That's where we stand. Does that make sense? Okay. There's so many great examples of this. Listen to this. I'll just, I should go quick because I'm going to run out of time. Um, in the third century AD, one of the Roman emperors ordered a guy named St. Lawrence, one of the seven deacons of Rome, executed in a particularly cruel way. Such was the emperor's rage that Lawrence was to be burned alive on a grill. Yet Lawrence showed not the least fear Instead, at one point during his martyrdom, he is said to have turned to his executioners and joked, you can turn me over now. I'm done on this side. That's so cool. How does someone do that? Well, they're either, you know, they have a serious mental condition or they really just trust that Jesus is in charge of their life and he's even going to be glorified through their death. Right? There's another one in here I want to read real quick. This uh this lady named uh, Perpetua, um, when brought to the arena, imme- Perpetua immediately, be- this is the call scene where they fed Christians to the lions, right? Immediately began singing a hymn, later deliberately taking the time to pin up her hair during her tortures, lest her unkept hair be interpreted as a sign of grief. You have Stephen dying, right? Being stoned to death by people. And what does he say? Father, don't hold this sin against them. Reacting completely differently to power and oppression in a way that says, God, I want you to be merciful to these people that are hurting me. Does that make sense? Amazing. That is powerful. That's powerful. Think of Paul and Silas, beaten, right, with rods, laid in a prison. And if you've been here for our sermons, we talk about this, how the prisons were kind of like a downward funnel. And they were put in the inner dungeon at the bottom and often laid on your back with your hands and your feet up in stocks and all of the poop and pee from all the prisoners, I know, rolled downhill. And so they'd be laying down in their backs with open wounds in poop and pee. And what are they doing? They're singing hymns to God. Either mental or something amazing. 
a way of experiencing oppression that you're free from this stuff. And so by the time the Lord does give them a circumstantial deliverance and you have this earthquake and the doors fly open and the guards come in and the jailer's like, I better kill myself because I'm done. And Paul's like, don't kill yourself. We're all here. And what does the jailer say? Sir, what must I do to be saved? The witness of that kind of a powerful life of one who's been set free from oppression is incredible to a watching world. Even if they don't, they don't know what to do with that because that's not the way the world works. We live in, the world lives in fear of circumstantial oppression. And to my shame, I have too. And I need to remember that Jesus came to set at liberty those that are oppressed by remembering that, man, he's forgiven me, he's forgiven them, and he is seated at the right hand of the Father, working all things after the counsel of his will. It's a powerful truth. Internally, how does this work? Well, again, it's not a freedom from facing our experiences. The sins of others or our own will have consequences in our life, right? If your father was abusive, you are going to have probably some scars from that. But where the world, I would say, tends to read sort of a victim narrative for your life, say, well, I guess that's how it is forever. Jesus would say, no, you are no longer defined by those things. You have me as your heavenly father. You have a new identity and I can make you whole. I can give you a new way of experiencing those things. And how will that come about for you? Part of that will come about from the forgiveness that you've received. And now you're able to extend to those people who have hurt you in those ways. Not a New Testament example, but one of my favorites, and it goes to the human trafficking thing that Marcus brought up. But do you remember the story of Naaman, the leper, the guy who goes and washes seven times in the Jordan River and is made, made clean? Do you remember how that story starts? There's a little girl who's been taken captive and she's a slave in Naaman's house. Her parents probably murdered by Naaman's forces in one of their raids against Israel. She is a human trafficking victim with every reason to hate Naaman, probably the commander that victimized her family. That's what he was. He was the commander of those forces. And what is her attitude towards Naaman's affliction? And rather than saying, that's karma. You deserve every bit of that, buddy. You took away my family. I'm glad you got leprosy. That's the justice of God. She says, ah, I wish that my master could go to Israel. There's a prophet there and he could heal him. She wants mercy for her master. Powerful. That little girl is the reason that story starts and Naaman becomes this guy whose life is changed by the power of God in healing. And the, the, the history is filled with Christians who loved their enemies, who forgave those who hurt them. And that's the command that's given to us in Colossians chapter three. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who has hurt you, even as God has forgiven you. And it's in that process of forgiving that we are reckoning their debt paid by Jesus and we find freedom for ourselves. Hard to do, but powerful. Let's see if I had something else I want to say on that internally. Oh, I missed this and I meant to say it. This includes the, the when we're talking about these, these power plays, demonic oppression, right? Obviously, we see in Jesus' day, uh, many stories of Jesus delivering people. That's something that's still going on today. You have the examples of, of Paul doing those same things where the enemy would make those plays. And even for Christians, there are attacks from demons. And it's not that you'll be free from those attacks, but you have a place now of 
with authority with him, right? Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. He's the King of kings and Lord of lords. Where like Paul, he turns to that demon that's inhabiting that girl in Philippi and says, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you, come out of her. And that demon has to go. And so you don't live in fear of those things anymore. We've been delivered from that internal um, dominion that the, that the enemy would try to take over us. Again, because of what Christ has done. He came to set us free. So it is a freedom to face oppression without fear any longer. Freedom from condemnation for our own sins. Some of these are the worst. Man, have you done stuff in your life that just either haunts you or you think you're over it and then some weak moment, the enemy's back there whispering in your ear, hey, Michael, remember when you did this? And you can't deny it, it's true. It's not like he's making stuff up. He's just reading from the biography. Those are facts. We don't get freedom from those facts, but we get freedom from the guilt because, again, what Jesus did by forgiving us. I can look at the enemy as though I actually do this and say, that debt's paid. There's nothing left for you to hold against me. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. I'm free. That debt is paid. There's a story that a guy uh, told I really liked. He worked as a debt collector for a while. It's Ed Underwood. Uh, by the way, Ed Edward told the story, not a favorite time of his life working as a debt collector. He's trying to make ends meet. And he says, we would make these calls to people who had these debts, right? And maybe some of you have been on those collection calls. And we would tell them, you owe us this much money. But he said, as I was working there after a while, I realized some of these files, we didn't have the promissory note signed by the person that says that they owed the money. They had, they had incurred the debt, but we lost that record. And my boss would tell me, oh, don't tell them. Don't tell them that the record is clear. You know, we still want them to pay, right? But there was no legal reason that they had to pay. There was no record of that debt. And guys, that's true for you and me. Jesus having paid our debt means that when someone comes to us or we are holding that against, or the enemy's trying to hold that over us to say, man, I am no longer guilty before God because that debt has been paid. My file is empty. So we have freedom from condemnation and a guilty conscience for our sins. If you need a couple verses, I use verses. I call them, my buddy and I call them sword verses when I'm fighting these battles in my mind. Romans chapter eight, verse one is there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And Hebrews chapter nine, verse 14 says that the blood of Christ can cleanse our guilty consciences. So then we have the freedom to forgive others. I mentioned this one already. And we have freedom from oppressive authorities claims. We have Jesus example in John 19. Uh, Paul and Jesus casting out demons and the apostles saying to the Sanhedrin, hey, we've got to obey God rather than men. Listen, are you facing these things today? Are you in a place where there's that internal oppression from old wounds, people trying to hurt you, bad bosses, demons? I have great news for you. Jesus came to give you liberty. Not from the attacks themselves, but a whole nother way to go through it. If you are going through it and you're like condemned, you're pretty sure the only person in this church who's a sinner today, everyone else has their life together except you, not true. You are welcome to join us if you are a sinner who has found Jesus. We'd love to have you. In fact, if you think you're perfect, would you please leave now? Because you'll screw it up for the rest of us. Jesus can give you liberty. Man, is the enemy attacking you? Is he trying to hold you in bondage? Is he claiming authority over your life that he doesn't have? You say, no, you gotta go. I belong to Jesus Christ. He's the King of kings and Lord of lords. And in his name, every knee has to bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. You take your spot as a son of God, child of God. Jesus can give you liberty. He will make you, listen, more than a conqueror. Not because you're great. 
but because he is great. And every weakness of my life and every wound that I've inflicted on other people and wounds that have been inflicted on you, when I tell that story, it glorifies him because he's so able to raise me up and make something of me. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and I love this whole passage, but I'll just do, try to do my best. He says, we have this treasure, the treasure of Christ's life in us, in what? Earthen vessels, cracked pots, these things that are not impressive, that aren't cool, so that people will see that the power is not of us, but of him. Your broken life and mine, those places of brokenness and that idea of oppression, having been filled by the spirit of God, forgiven, able to extend forgiveness, standing now in the place of authority next to Jesus, glorify him. And when you present those places of brokenness and weakness to others, you give people hope. You know, there's that tendency to think we have to have it together or put this face on it. That's not it at all, man. That is not it. We want to say, this is who I am apart from Jesus and what I've done apart from him, even as a believer. And here's what Jesus has done with my life. And that's a story that people can identify with and say, then there's hope for me too. So that's the good news that we present. Jesus Christ, our deliverer. Let's see if I think I've got one more thing. Is that it? Oh, yes, I know what it was. Back to Isaiah 61. Remember this too, and I love this part of the story. As good as this news is, and it is good news, Hope right now for all of the oppression we face. Isaiah 61 verse 2 finishes with this, the day of vengeance of our God. And Jesus, as I said, is seated right now at the right hand of the Father and he is coming back and he's coming back to conquer. And all oppression, we sing it in our Christmas song, all oppression will cease and righteousness will cover the earth like water covers the sea and all of our enmity with one another healed. All people trying to take advantage of other people done. Peace on earth. That is part of our message too. It's coming. And if you belong to Jesus, that is what you're looking forward to. And that's how we can live these lives that we read about these people and say, turn me over now. I'm done. And I'm done. Let's pray. Oh, excuse me. I'm not because we're going to do the the good part of the sermon. So uh, one of, come on up, please, Lil. So one of our dear sisters at the church, one of my dear friends, how many years have we known each other now? Like since I started going to Coastline in I think like 2000. You're going to use this mic here. I'm shaking. I know. I'm going to pray for you before you start. Leave the lights on. I got to see you people. Uh, Lil and I have been friends for a long, long time. And uh, it takes a lot of courage, as you can imagine, to stand up here and tell your story. It's great in a sermon like, man, talk about your weaknesses and what Jesus has done for you. I got nothing to say. I got nothing to say. I love you so much. And Lil's going to tell her story today that's going to give honor to Christ. Let's pray for her really fast. Yes, please pray for her. So Jesus, we thank you for our sister Lil. The Bible says that we are your workmanship created in Christ for good works you prepared in advance for us to do. And we know that Lil is your workmanship, not because she's so great, but because you've done great things in her life as you've done for each of us. And as she stands today to speak, may your spirit choose the words that she uses. May her story do nothing but give glory to you and hope to those who are looking for hope in you, Jesus. Use her now and give her peace. Stand right beside her. Amen. Okay, you got this. Yeah, man, that's bad. You can step further. I want the lights on, though. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, no, this is weird. So first of all, um, just that I'm standing here is a miracle, right? And um, I love you people so much. I'm shaking. I'm shaking. 
Because, yeah, I need that. I've been crying all morning, just getting ready for this. Because, um, I don't know why I put makeup on today. <laughs> um, this sermon, okay, some of you don't know me. Some of you have known me for a really long time. And you know that, that I'm standing here because of the grace of God. Because um, the devil tried to take me out. <laughs> I don't know if I can talk anymore. I had this whole thing planned out. And you just preached this thing. That was my life, man. That was my life. So um, I've been here at Coastline. Um, my family... Um, his, we were the OG people, man. We were, we were like, <laughs> back at the beginning when there was like 10 of us, they just came out of Ruthie's living room. Anyway, um, I had a testimony that I want to give because I only have a short amount of time of, um, of this last season of my life. But just like all of you, I'm old, I, older than most of you, I have... A long testimony and various testimonies because um, God has seen me through many, many seasons of life. And um, I can't tell you all of those. I would love to someday. But um, I actually came to know Jesus as my Savior as a kid. I believe I did. I believe I did. I loved him as a kid. I lived a very tumultuous life, my family of abuse and addiction and trauma. And um, I didn't know it at the time, but the Lord was preparing me for something else, just like he does all of us, you know. And um, I walked away from the Lord through uh, my teenage years. I was rebellious and promiscuous and doing everything that all the kids are not supposed to do. I literally told my mother, if you're going to be in heaven, I don't want to be there. God forgive me. I love you, Mom. But she never stopped praying for me. And all through my life, God put people. He doesn't stop doing that. He puts people in your life to... Bring you to show you to speak truth. And, um, I, um, had a boyfriend who, um, I thought I was gonna marry. I fell in love with everybody. Uh, that's just how I am. I love everybody. <laughs> but, um, anybody who showed me any kind of love or affection, I was, I was all in. I loved them with everything. Anyway, he had parents who loved the Lord, and they prayed for me. And I was homeless for a while, and they took me in. And anyway, that relationship ended. And um, I met my husband, Paul, who a lot of you know. And um, I met him when I was in high school, and I um, wasn't walking with the Lord. He wasn't walking with the Lord. I was 19. He was 37 I had some daddy issues, and um, I wanted somebody to take care of me. I'd been on my own for a long time, and I left home when I was 15. Anyway, I, I'm not telling my story right. 
So if it makes sense to you, I'm just trying to hurry up through this part because I want to get through to where I meant now. <laughs> anyway, um, Paul was a good man. He was a good man. And he, um, he raised me. He let me be me. I grew up in, in a place of being loved and cherished. And he took care of me. He supported me. And he was good to me. He was loving and kind and gentle. We had hard times. We had hard times, but he loved the Lord. <laughs> he loved the Lord, and he loved me, and he loved his kid. We had a son. We thought we'd never have a kid. And um took us a while to get pregnant, and the Lord blessed us with a son. We just jumping up and down, just loving him. He was a great kid, and Paul was a great dad. Paul was a great dad. Doug never cried for his mom. He cried for his dad. Anyway, um, we had hard times. We've been, we went through ups and downs, but we stayed firm. The Lord brought us back to him. We were walking with the Lord. I was walking with the Lord, man. I was doing ministry here in this church for what, 15, 20 years? I don't know how long I was doing ministry. I had many of you kids in my class. I had you people over my house for dinner. I'm just a testimony of you're never too old in the Lord to screw your life up big time. You're never too old in the Lord. I was walking with the Lord. I loved him. I loved him. I was teaching Good News Club. I was going to going to the schools. Once they told me I'm allowed to go into the school and preach the name of Jesus, I was there. Every week, man. Three schools. I was like, I'm gonna tell these kids about Jesus. I led many, many kids to Jesus. They came to know Jesus because I prayed with them and I taught them. I'm going to get to the part that... <laughs> I don't know why. And um, this is maybe... Lord, forgive me. I just want you to know that just because something looks like you got it all together, <laughs> you don't know what's happening. You don't know what's happening on the inside. It's all a mind battle. The battle is in your mind, people. And this is why we need to speak it. We need to give our testimony. We need to confess with our mouth. Because that's where the power is. Power is when we, 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 we stamp that devil down. I'm up here today because I'm going to stamp that devil down. He tried to kill me. And I'm going to use what he meant for evil for good because I'm going to speak the name of Jesus the devil sent somebody into our home to our family and I'm not my husband and we used to run a um, halfway house for, for men a lot of you know that different people would come and go my husband had such a heart for these guys he loved them he poured into them. He would 
spend hours teaching and Bible studies and just mentoring them, taking them to work with them. He's a good man. He is a good man. And he, um, we were very trusting. He trusted people. I'm trying to say this without, oh God, Holy Spirit, give me strength. So one of the guys that came to the house came into our family and um, immediately started causing, and this is the devil, I don't blame anybody, okay? Immediately started causing contention and, and strife between my husband and my son. <clears throat> Things started going weird. Uh I'm going to come follow back and let you know some things in between. But I want to finish this because, um, oh gosh, because um, the spiritual battle, you know how many times I taught Ephesians 6? <laughs> the spiritual battle is um, is real, okay? And um, what the Lord has taught me in all of this the devil uses people, okay? <laughs> no no demon is going to come down. <laughs> you, if a demon came in front of you, you'd be like, oh, name of Jesus, be, be gone, right? <laughs> you would use people. People who pretend to be good. People who pretend to love you. People who tell you what you think you need to hear because the devil knows the enemy knows he's watched you your entire life he knew my hurt he knew my pain he knew my weak spots he knew my guilt he knew exactly how to get me i'm so stupid i'm so stupid because I had pride. Because I'm the Bible teacher. Taught the Bible for many years. I knew the Bible. There were days where I didn't even study. Because like, how many times have I taught this lesson? I don't need to study. I used to tell, we used to sing this song. Be careful little eyes, what you see careful little ears what you hear right we tell the kids that right but we need to hear it we need to hear it okay it's a it's a spiral it's a slippery slope it's a it's a gradual it's a gradual you don't know you're blind when you're in darkness You don't know you're being deceived when you're deceived. You think you got it all together. You think you know. It's pride. It's pride. And the devil loves pride. Because he can get in. 
He can get in. I'm going to back up just a minute because I need to say that um, we were doing things. We were teaching. We were loving. We were caring. We were ministering to the community, right? That's what y'all saw. That's what you saw, right? But we weren't praying together. We weren't in the word together. We were watching things we shouldn't watch. Listening to things we shouldn't listen to. Talking like we shouldn't talk. I was so lonely. He's in the office doing his thing. I'm in the front room lusting over HGTV. Like seriously, hours and hours and hours I'd watch HGTV because I wanted that stuff. Lust is a very um, relative thing. The lust of the eyes. Um, does it, It's not a big step from one thing to the other. Trust me. <clears throat> but in my heart, I was telling God, I, it wasn't good enough. He had already taken us through God. If I could tell you, if I had two hours, I'd tell you some stories of what God took me and Paul through. We went through some tough stuff, and God brought us through. And um, and he was restoring our life and our family and our... And that's what happens. You read the Bible. Well, you know the stories. How many times do we tell these stories? The Israelites, things are going good. And then they turn and they forget God. You know? I'm pretty much okay now with being destitute the rest of my life, okay? Because this is where I need to be. (laughs) But anyway... Things the enemy started getting in. The enemy started getting in. I'm complaining. Why can't I have that house? Why can't I have that? My husband's working his old butt off till way hours into the night. He was such a hard worker. He he worked harder than any twenty year old I knew. <laughs> and I tore him down. I tore him down with my words. <laughs> there was a separation between us long before the enemy came in. So the enemy brings this other person who starts creating contention to the point where I can't even stand my husband anymore. I couldn't even stand to watch him eat. Because all I heard was all these things about him, terrible things, whether they were true or not. I don't know. I actually haven't even talked to Paul. And the love bombing started. How great I was. How lucky Paul was. How he doesn't appreciate you. All All that. All that. Building up my ego. Man, I'm so great. So great, you should love me more, man. But he's, I'm gonna love you. Nobody would love you like me. I'm gonna take care of you. I fell for the lie. Did God really say, did God really say, 
don't touch that fruit? Did God really say he wants the best for you? The fact is I became an unbeliever is what I did. I became as an unbeliever. I no longer had the fear of God. The fear of God that said, don't do this. Because I love you. And I want what's best for you. But I didn't. I'm a rebel. I said, no. I'm not happy here. This is going to be way better. This is going to be way better. It's got to be from God, right? And I was told that. Well, God put us together. You didn't marry him when you were following God. You weren't supposed to be with him. You're supposed to be with me. God will never, ever, ever, ever tell you you're supposed to be with another man's wife. God will never, ever tell you you're supposed to be with another woman's husband. It's a lie from the pit of hell. The Bible says if you know what to do and you don't do it, you probably have this verse. You're deceiving yourself. James or something. Not only do you deceive yourself, Peter talks about becoming blind. Blind. So I would listen and hear stories of these preachers and whatever. There seems to be a lot of them who fall. You're like, how does that happen? He's up there. He's preaching the word of God. Everything he says is true, right? How can this be? How can somebody... I would say, well, they must not really be Christians. You can't really be a Christian and do that, right? So, I was judgmental and critical. You, 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 You can't really be a Christian like me. Because you're doing that, right? People warned me. God always gives you an out. He never, never leaves, puts you there. I'm sure I got black lines down my face. (laughs) He always gives you an out. People warned me. People warned me. He's lying. He's deceiving. He's manipulating. What are you doing? Michael took me out to dinner. And he's like, you're making a mistake. Why are you doing this? Jason, well, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? I was so caught up in my selfishness. All I could see was myself, what I wanted. And I wanted to be happy. I just wanted to be happy. I wanted to be loved because I'd lost the love of the Lord that I had at one time because I was looking at the world. I had Jesus. I had the love of Jesus. But I was looking at all those things all you people out there have. And I wanted them. It's a lie from the pit of hell. It's a lie from the pit of hell. There were red flags, many red flags. 
There were many red flags, but I was blind. I was blind. So the thing is, we blind ourselves, right? And then the enemy is so happy to come in and finish the job. Because the fact is, when we sin, knowingly, willingly, sometimes we screw up. We literally open the door and say, come on in. That's what I did. Come on in, devil. I spit in the face of my God. I walked away. I walked away from my family. I walked away from my son, my only son that I love so much. I walked away from the most beautiful grandchildren. I walked away from my family, my friends. They warned me too. (laughs) Everybody warned me. And I just went anyway. So the Bible says that... um, and we hide in the shadow of his wings. He protects us. When we are in Christ, when we are abiding, when we are fellowshipping, when we are obeying, when we, oh, what a sweet place, what a sweet place, which, thank you, Jesus. But when we don't, We come out from under that protection. And I I literally came out from under the protection of my God, my father, my dad. And I got beat up. Oh, my God. I spent five years in hell. There were many red flags that this man was not from God. I've never been abused. I've had abuse in my life. I've had abuse in my life. I had abuse in my childhood, which I think the enemy also prepares us for that. (laughs) But um, for five years, I was abused in every way that um, I'm not going to tell you about. And I literally thought it was my punishment. I stayed. I stayed. Because this is what I deserve. This is what I deserve. I'm a worthless human being who turned my back on God. And if this man kills me, it's okay. Because that's what I deserve. I thought I was going to die numerous times. There was numerous times I thought I was going to die. I can't tell you every specific. But not only that, I wanted to die. I wanted to kill myself. I had the spirit of death on me. You cannot sleep with the devil and not expect to get infiltrated. Trust me. That's why God says don't do these things. I had the spirit of death on me. 
towards the end, it got really bad. I tried to leave numerous times, numerous times. My poor family, I kept coming back. Rescue me, rescue me, rescue me. So my son, is he was already grown up and married and had kids. <clears throat> but he um, was strong. He was strong. And he's like, I love you, Mom. But if you're going to live this way, you can't be in my life. You can't be in my kid's life. Which is fine because... I was surrounded by the devil. <clears throat> I didn't understand it at the time, though. It was very hurtful, and I was very broken because I was living in hell. And I missed my family so much. I missed my Jesus. I missed everything so much. <clears throat> I was living in hell, and I just wanted to die. So almost on a daily basis, he would tell me, you should just kill yourself. I'm not talking about the devil. I'm talking about, well, he was the devil. These words came out of the, the man that I was married to. You should just kill yourself. Nobody loves you. Nobody would even care when you leave. They probably wouldn't even miss you or notice you're gone. Now, for the five years that I was gone, I would run into some of you guys in the store. And he would tell me, um... They don't love you. They don't care about you. Look at them. They're ignoring you. You're being shunned. <clears throat> now, granted, I'm not sure this man knew what he was speaking. Um, he was a tool of the devil. But um, you know your mind. is. You, he's always in your mind. Look what you did. Look what you did. You can't be a Christian, right? So for five years, I, I ran from the Lord. There was drugs and alcohol and perversion of all kinds that I'm so ashamed of. I'm going to say one incident, though, that because um, I used to teach Good News Club. One night we were partying at a place that's not even open anymore, in which a lot of young people used to go. And um, I was falling down drunk. And one of the kids from Good News Club saw me. I was sitting on the street. I'm so ashamed. I'm so ashamed of myself. I was thinking of when Jesus looked at Peter, you know. The shame, and it was just heaped on me, heaped on me, heaped on me, you know. Just by this person and by the devil in my head, you're just, you're just worthless. You might as well kill yourself. I thought about it daily, every day. And I don't know if you, there's a, there's an impression that you were talking about, this, this darkness that just is so heavy. Like your chest is being crushed. And you just want to get out of it. Like I just need to get out of it. I wanted him to kill me. I, I, I asked him, just 
finish it. Just finish it. Just, just do it. I, I don't care. I don't care. I thought about my family. I thought about my kid who I didn't want to die with that big chasm between us. There was such a huge chasm. I only have one child. It doesn't matter how many kids you have. You can have 10 kids. You love them all. But I only had one who was um, a gift from God. And we had been through a lot together. And so that chasm during those years was so hard. And the grandkids, which really are the cutest kids in the world. Sorry. Um, I had missed five years of their life. And um, for, and the Lord kept me alive. The Lord kept me alive. I would think about jumping in the garbage can and killing myself in the garbage can so that um, nobody would have to clean it up because I'm a housekeeper. Um, I don't, I can't even express the torment that I was going through. And this is what the spiritual battle is. If you have a battle, if you have a torment, bottom line is you got to surrender. There, there is no battle. You guys hear me hooting and hollering in the corner over there? <laughs> That's me. That's me because I've been delivered. I've been delivered. <laughs> I left. I left. It's been almost two years. It, it's been two years of. Um, it's almost been two years since I left him. My situation hasn't changed, actually. I'm still married to him. <clears throat> I'm still $100,000 in debt. I lost everything. I lost my home that was given to me I was supposed to keep it for my grandkids and all that I did everything wrong I did everything wrong I'm the testimony of the dog that went back to its vomit the clean pig who went back to the the mud the harlot that went back to the brothel. I have a story of shame. But I stand here today and I can hoot and holler in the back of the corner there whenever they talk about being delivered, the captives being set free. I was in hell, literally. Okay, not literally. So my, my grandson asked me that. He's like, Grandma, did you really go to hell? <laughs> like, you know, when I think of hell, it's a separation. It's a hell. The worst part of hell is going to be the separation from God. Okay. I think there's going to be a lot of, there are stories of people who went to hell, and it's going to be bad, okay? 
but Peter, Second Peter, Peter talks about. You tell me. It's it's better to not have known, right? Tell me the verse. <laughs> it's better to not have known. Okay, so you guys have testimonies of, I didn't know Jesus. I was this. I was that. And then God saved me. And I'm saved. Hallelujah. And now I'm this awesome person, right? That's not my story. My story is I knew Jesus. He saved me. His blood cleansed me. He washed me. He delivered me. I have stories of miracles in my life. Miracles, literal miracles where God provided for me and did healing and did, uh, you know, uh, you look at the Israelites and you think, well, how did they do? That's what we do. We saw miracles, literal miracles. And I'm like, oh God, you can't be right about this. Everybody else maybe, but not me, right? <laughs> how stupid. How stupid, how foolish. But you know what? This past two years, when I left two years ago, I was a shell of a person. A shell of the person that I used to be. Some of you knew me before. You people, my dear sisters. <laughs> I'm here today. Because they prayed me back. I'm here today because prayers work. When you speak, you move the spiritual world. And the God who made the heavens and the earth will move on your behalf. And there were angels guarding over me. I can't tell you how many times I was going to die. There were angels guarding over me. And I stand here today because... I'm sorry, I'm so... Like, seriously, I'm I'm having a hard time. Listen. We are overcomers. We... Our testimony... Your testimony, we have numerous testimonies, okay? I could have tell you, how many testimonies do you have? We all have numerous testimonies, right? And um, how we came to Christ or, you know, whatever, how he provided or or showed a way or whatever. Um, I have so many of those. My testimony today is stop doing what I did. We used to sit. There was another aisle here. We used to sit like over here, me and Paul. I would lift my hands in worship. I was so torn apart on the inside. I was dying. You cannot say you belong to Jesus and live like the devil and think it's okay. David talks about that. His bones rotting within him. That was me. My bones were rotting within me. So instead of getting on my face right here in front of all you people and saying, I screwed up. I didn't. I'm like, oh, I've gone too far. I've gone too far. And I got to go. Jesus doesn't want me back. I've gone too far. And I, I did the, the sin that is too big. 
So I can't go with God. I got to go with the devil. But that's not what we're supposed to do. The blood of Jesus is able to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The blood of Jesus is able to deliver you, deliver me. I had I had demons. I would look at myself in the mirror and I not recognize myself. I was with this person living chaos, drunken, stupor, drugs, perversion, just disgusting life. And he was so cruel and mean and I would turn into a raging lunatic. I didn't even know who I was. I didn't even know who I was. I would bang my head against the wall praying it would pop because I just wanted to be done. And then COVID happened and I got stuck with him for three months. And the Lord is like, come back, come back, come back. And I started reading the word again, reading the word again because the devil had plucked it out. I forgot it. And I started reading the word again, reading the word again. It was all like new to me. I'm not even joking. Like even now, I I love my Bible so much. I'm like, was this always here? (laughs) Like, seriously, Jesus, thank you, thank you. And I, I, I was like, I'm not supposed to be here. I'm not supposed to be here. What am I doing here? And he was drunk all the time and come and harass me, and uh, it was it was awful. And I'm like, I'm I'm not going to be here. I got I got to go. I got to go. And the other thing is, like, Jesus is coming any minute, right? And I don't want to be caught here, okay? I don't want to be caught in this place doing these things. I got to go. And I told him, I'm going. And um, I left. But then I got hoovered back. Like, oh, I want Jesus too. I want what you got. Let's go do this together. And I kept thinking, God, I kept going back. God is going to redeem this. Okay? God can fix this. I would watch videos of broken marriages that God healed. Yes, God could have done that. God could have done that with me and Paul. That's the marriage that he did over and over again. This was not the marriage that God wanted to fix. This was not a marriage from God. You can't fix what was never meant to be. If it's not from the Lord, get out. Okay? If you're living in sin, if you're sleeping with your girlfriend or your boyfriend, if you're getting drunk, if you're watching porn, you think that nobody sees you. You can't change that. It's not just a minute. I'm telling you, the devil comes in. You can't do it. What you hear, what you watch, who you hang around with, it matters. It matters. We are to be holy. Okay? We are. And it's a slippery slope. I didn't just one day say, oh, gee, 
I don't love God anymore. I'm going to cheat on my husband and leave my family and destroy my life. It was a gradual thing. That's what this is for. Every day, every day. Here we celebrate Christmas. Yay. Jesus came. You know what? He didn't say, celebrate my birthday. He didn't say that. We don't even really know what day he was born. Probably because of that. But we do know when he died. He said, do this often. Remember the blood. There are days I'm back there hooting and hollering. And there are days that I am weeping because... My Jesus. Took me back. He never left me. But I spit in his face and I ran away. And he was following right behind me. He was following right behind me. And all I had to do was turn around. And he was right there with open arms. I'm the prodigal. I'm the prodigal who came back to a loving father. And then this last two years, I've been... There was a point... It's so hard. So my son took me back. Okay, okay. My my son. I get preachy. I get preachy. I know it. I'm a teacher. But my son took me back. And the last time I called him, like I got, I went back and forth, and he kept taking me back. I lived with him a couple of times, and then I went back. Oh no, God's gonna fix this. God's gonna fix this. And and my son, he's a he's a good man. He's not here because I probably wouldn't be able to speak. Anyway, he um, I took he took me back and helped me get back out on my own. And then I'm like, oh, well, I'm going to go back. We're going to try this again. And he just said, good luck with that. And I didn't talk to me again. One day he's going to come up here and give his testimony. One day he'll do it. Because I'm sure that I broke his heart numerous times. Because he knew where I was going. He knew what was happening to me there. Really, it's the grace of God that my husband, Paul, and my son didn't take this guy out. Anyway, I, I finally came back. I called him up and I'm like, how many times can I do this? And he said, get in your car and come home now. Come over now. And I um, I got stuck. I couldn't leave. He would make me make it so that I can't leave. He'd make me sit in a chair. I wasn't allowed to get up. Anyway, Doug called the cops. And the cops came and I got out. <clears throat> and um, I was devastated. I was traumatized. I, I was crazy okay so it's been two years of deliverance it's been two years of 
just washing in the word, washing in the word, walking, 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 hours, hours, hours. <laughs> Listening. I sleep with, with scripture. When I first left, those things were not happy. They were coming to me at night. They're coming to me. They come, if they come to you at night, you need to scream, plead the blood of Jesus. Because the enemy doesn't want to lose you. He's not going to give up that easily. And um, washing in the word, worship, worship. Worship is such a different thing for me. It's two different things. It's like I'm really happy and then I'm really sad. But <laughs> I'm really happy because I have been saved and delivered. The blood of Jesus has delivered me. And then I'm sad because I did what I did. And I knew better. I knew better. But listen, the guilt and the shame that I was feeling, that was pride too. Because the blood of Jesus works for you. You can be saved. You can make mistakes. But I couldn't. Because I knew better. The blood of Jesus works for me too. The blood of Jesus works for you. So the Lord says that we are to um, confess our sins one to another that we might, and pray for each other that we might be healed. If I had said, man, I've, I'm screwing up. I'm screwing up. It was months, I'm telling you, months, that I was living in hell in here. None of you knew it because I didn't tell you. If you're living in hell... Because there's a spiritual battle going on in your mind right now. Because you're sinning and you know you're sinning. Confess. Confess. The blood of Jesus is right here. I asked Chris if we could do communion. Because I I feel like I want to do communion every day. Every day. The blood of Jesus. Stop and take a look. The Christ who died on that cross, who bled and died and suffered beyond we could ever do for me because I'm selfish, because I have pride, because I have lust. But he runs around and he carries us back. And I, my situation hasn't changed, but my heart has. My heart has. And now um, the Lord is restoring me to you people. I love you people. The Lord is restoring me to my family. I can't even tell you how I love those grandkids of mine. So I have the I'm the terrible story of testimony of shame and guilt, but that's not where it ends. And and you know what though? This is why I'm here because God doesn't save us. He doesn't deliver us. He doesn't redeem us. He doesn't take us through this pit to keep to ourselves. He tells us to go and tell everybody. 
If you are a child of God, if you are redeemed, delivered, justified by the blood of Jesus, you can't keep it to yourself. And you may not be up here crying like a blubbering idiot, which is actually way better. I, I, I'm surprised I'm not on the ground. But <laughs> seriously, go talk to the somebody. Go talk to that friend. People out there are hurting. They think they got it all together, but they're hurting. They're desperate. They need Jesus. And we have it to tell them. This is, this is how we stomp out the devil. We overcome the enemy by the blood of the lamb, by the power of our testimony. If you don't tell it, you don't overcome the enemy. So what Satan meant for evil in my life, he meant to take me out. He meant to kill me. I'm going to use for good. And I pray, I pray that right now, whatever you're dealing with in your life, because we all have something. I don't care how pretty you are. (laughs) We all have something. You don't speak it all the time. You have hidden sins, hidden hurts, hidden shame. But that's what the blood of Jesus is for. And we can walk out of here free. And we can jump and scream and shout, sing hallelujah, because we're free. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Let me pray for you guys. Let me pray. Lord God Almighty, heaven is just singing your glory right now, Lord. God, I am a trophy, a testament of your great grace. That you didn't kill me is beyond my understanding, Lord. That you love me is beyond my understanding. Lord, I pray right now, Holy Spirit, power come into this place. Fill us, renew us, revive us, deliver us, Lord. Help us see, open our eyes, Jesus, 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 that you are everything, everything we need. Anything else we go for is wrong, Jesus, be our everything. We love you. We love you, Lord. Be glorified in us. In Jesus' name. I love you, Lord. Hey, you guys. Let's give. Yeah, thank you. you. Welcome home. You did great. Just real quick, I'm going to read that section that was on my heart when you started from uh, Luke 15. And if you have kids, if you would be thinking about going back to get them, that would be awesome in just a second here says about the prodigal son that he uh, winds up in a field sleeping with pigs. And then he he's so hungry, no one's given him any food, and he finally comes to his senses and he said to himself, at, some, at home even the hired servants have enough food to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming, and he was angry. It's filled with compassion. Ran to his son and embraced him and kissed him. And his son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick! Bring the finest robe, 
Put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. Sandals were only worn by sons. Full restoration. And kill the fatted calf. We must celebrate with a feast. For the son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. And he was lost and now has been found. And I love the NLT. It says, and so, so the party began. The details of your story and mine are a little different or not. But that is our father welcoming us home. And we get to do the same for other people to tell them that they can come home. So if you have children, please go and get them. But the worship team is going to come up and play. And while they're playing, we've got communion available. If you've never taken communion before, you wonder what it's about. Inside there's some juice and a little cracker. You can stand with me if you would. And you can take those, come up and pick them up, take them back to your seat. The bread in those little containers is a representation of what Jesus did on the night when he was betrayed. He took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. It's that sacrifice that Jesus made for you and me to satisfy the wrath of the father that Jesus was broken for us so that the condemnation that we should have rightly received didn't won't fall on us. It's when you break that cracker. Remember, Jesus was broken for you. There's no wrath. There's no wrath left. And then he said, this blood, this juice represents this wine, represents the blood of the new covenant, a new arrangement with God. It's not based on you trying to earn stuff, a new arrangement, a new covenant based on his blood that's poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And as you take it back to your seat, remember this, that the wrath of God for you has been satisfied, that all of your sins have been wiped away by Jesus. And then remember that that is true for the people around you too. Those that don't know him, those that do, those that owe you stuff, those that don't owe you stuff, it's good for everybody if they'll just receive him. Thank him for it. Be free today. Be at liberty, you who have been oppressed by the enemy, us. Jesus, I just pray for your people, for me. Thank you for redeeming me. Thank you for not counting my sins against me, but paying them, Lord. Every word and thought and attitude of my heart and action where I've hurt people, I've hurt people that you love, Jesus, I've sinned against them and it's been washed away by your work on the cross. I pray for anyone today who's living under condemnation. Jesus, today, set at liberty them that are oppressed. Lord, ask for those who've been hurt by others that they would, through your forgiveness, extend that to others and be set free from that. And I pray for those that the enemy is coming after today, that they would see your loving eyes, your pierced hands and feet, the scar in your side for them, and they would turn from that fake thing the enemy is offering and run back to you and stand in that place of authority at your side as a son and not be subject to the enemy anymore. And we do all this, Lord. We ask all this so that you'd be glorified. Thank you, Jesus, for delivering us from our sins. Let's worship him.